0: I speak to a few people here who you know that I try to live an attitude of gratitude because I got so much to be grateful for. And my gratitude cup runneth over this summer. Some of us were privileged to be in Montreal. I was privileged to be there. and I remember that fantastic opening meeting, the flag ceremony. After which we held hands and sang, Happy Birthday, A-A. 55,000 people holding hands and singing, Happy Birthday, a And I don't, don't normally cry in public, but I got carried away. Tears started. I was a little embarrassed. I looked at Conway on my right and Charlotte on my left, and they were both crying too, so I felt a little better after that. I think there were about 55,000 people that were crying. Tears of gratitude, tears of joy, not tears of sadness of gratitude and it was fantastic then on top of this we come down here to the RDAA and again my gratitude cup runneth over these are fantastic meetings and I was amazed last night at those 90 whatever they were up there for the first time I sort of keep mental track <clears throat> and about 98% thank God for their sobriety and express their gratitude. When I hear people saying they're grateful to God. They're, thank- they're here by the grace of God and they're grateful. To me that's two big pluses. So I had a lot of pluses last night. And I hear people talk like that. I'm sure they'll be back. Our topic this morning is the big book. The importance of the big book. This is the most important book in my life because it saved my life. Now there's nothing new in this book. Nothing new. It all comes out of the New Testament of the other big book. And I read the other big book, but I didn't seem to quite communicate the way this big book communicates. So this is indeed a very important part of my life because it saved my life. Now, I'm not an expert on the big book. I go to a big book study group every week. And I'm sure there are people in this room who know as much or more about the big book than I do. All I'm going to do is to go through this at odd intervals and quote from the book, verbatim quotes, on significant sentences, signal sentences, I call them, that have meant so much to my sobriety. So this is not a review or a critique or a report on the big book. I'm just going to quote various sentences, signal sentences of this book that have been important in my life. First of all, as most of you know, this was written by Bill Wilson, in 1938 and 39. I think for a minute. Bill's last drink was December eleventh, nineteen thirty four. 1934. So 35 or 36, 37, 38. He had less than four years sobriety when he wrote the victory. And he had a little help, but he wrote most of it. And it was... ...reviewed and critiqued by the Akron Group and the Cleveland Group and the New York Group, but it was not nine percent bill, according to the reports. At any rate, here was Bill Wilson, no formal education in medicine or science, nor a writer. He'd never had any experience in writing, never an editor of the school paper or anything like that. Here he was writing this big book, the first 164 pages... That have been reprinted over the intervening fifty years. Not fifty years. Since either originally printed in nineteen thirty-eight thirty-nine when he wrote them. Now remember, less than four years so bright with no background in any of these fields, and he wrote these fantastic words and put them all together that made sense. And the first hundred sixty four pages had been reprinted verbatim, the second edition and the third edition. I don't know about you, but it amazed me that a man with that little sobriety did this job. To me, the only explanation was divinely inspired. Look around your home group and look at somebody with less than four years sobriety. And imagine him or her writing this big book. This Clancy says, he doesn't let anybody bring him coffee till they've had five years. <laughs> but Bill wrote it with less than four years sobriety. Fantastic. We'll start here at the beginning. Now you hear a lot of people come to this podium and say they're recovering alcoholics. You hear other people say they're recovered alcoholics. So for years I wonder, what, what, why is this? And my sponsor said, look in the book, look in the book. That was his answer to most of my questions. Look in the book, look in the book. Those the answers are right here, ladies and gentlemen. I heard Chuck C., God bless his soul, in my second year of tell me and about a thousand other people that were listening to him, that everything I needed to know to solve any problem as long as I live, not booze problem, any problem, living problem as long as I live, everything I need to know is contained in the first 164 pages of a big book called Alcoholics Anonymous. And I found that to be true. I didn't believe him then, but I believe it today. So, as my sponsor said, look in the book, that's the answer. So the answer to that query about, am I recovered or am I recovering? The big book says I'm recovered. Here on the open page. The story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And on the preface, excuse me, the foreword they call it. This is a foreword to the first edition, which has been reprinted verbatim. The second edition and the third edition. The foreword says, quote. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered. That's in italics. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. So the question is, what is this precise method in which we recovered what is it? And I look for the expression somewhere, stop drinking, go to meetings. We you all the time. Don't drink and go to meetings. Well, it isn't in the book. Nowhere in this book does it say stop drinking, go to meetings. But it's not there. So the query is, what is this precise <laughs> manner in which we recovered? Well, over the years, with my big book study group, I found the precise way which we recovered. That's what this 164 pages explains. We recovered through spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is by trying to practice these principles in all our affairs. That's how we recovered. It's that simple. The spiritual growth is enunciated in the 12th chapter It's explained in the first 164 pages. Now, alcoholics have a way of twisting things around for their own benefit, for isolation. So Bill was aware of this, to make sure that we don't confuse recovered and cured, over on page 85, we'll, we'll go there a little later, he makes a statement, we are not cured of alcoholism, what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So that tells me I'm never cured of alcoholism, I am recovered. I'm recovered a day at a time as long as I maintain my spiritual condition. That's my problem. I haven't had a problem with booze in years. No booze problem. My problem is maintaining my spiritual condition. And I find as long as I stick close to this program, stick close to the winners and got to put somebody on the front row, and try to live this attitude of gratitude, I am able so far up to date to maintain this spiritual condition. So that takes care of the recovered versus recovering uh, item that faces many of us. And there's nothing wrong. If you want to say recovering, that's great, too. But I say recovered because that's what the book says. And I get my A out of the book. So I said the first edition published in uh, April 1939, it took 35 years, 1974, 35 years later, for one million edition, uh, one millionth copy to roll off the press. And that was in 1974, and Dr. Jack Norris, the non-alcoholic chairman of the board of Alcoholics Anonymous, presented the one-minute copy of the big book to President Richard Milhouse Nixon in the Oval Office of the White House. <clears throat> this was in the spring of 74. You political historical guys will remember that was a year of some uh, consternation in the city of Washington. <laughs> <Little clears throat> problems going on there. Now, he does not engage in any controversy, neither darses and opposes any causes, so we're not going to any political controversy. However, there are many people who think that had President Nixon read that book that Dr. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even need to read the whole book. <laughs> had he read the page that explained step 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when he was wrong, promptly admitted, if he'd read that one phrase, gone on TV, and he was wrong, we think the history of the President of the United States would be different. However, he didn't, and on August he resigned from the President of the United States. So that was the first millionth. It took five years for the next millionth, second millionth copy to roll off. 1979. Of, it took three years for the third millionth copy to roll off, and those of you who in Montreal remember Bob and gave Ruth Houck, the original, Bill Wilson's original secretary from 1937, 38, 39. She was there. She was typing the manuscript. Gave the five-millionth copy to Ruth Houck in the Olympic Stadium in Montreal (laughs) at the convention. So as of today, 2,500 copies of the big book roll off the press every working day, five days a week. That's about a million copies every 18 months. Translated into 11 languages, distributed to 114 countries around the world. That's the present status of the big book. <clears throat> now, as I said, this uh, this book doesn't talk about stopping drinking and going to meetings. Spiritual growth. There's very little in here about drinking other than Bill's story. But it is indeed spiritual growth throughout the whole book. And these sentences I'm going to quote here and there. What I call signal sentences are concerned mostly with spiritual growth. Over here on page, page one, here is this quote that Bill Wilson had from the uh, his visit to the Winchester Cathedral on his way to World War One. And he scored a one, two, three, four, it's a five, six line doggerel. He calls it, and it was printed in the book, and it was accepted for years. Shortly after Bill died, Lois took a trip back to England and stopped by to watch the uh, the cathedral there, Winchester Cathedral. And Lois has got a real sharp mind. Do you remember her history? When Bill was running around the country with his motorcycle inside, Evaluating businesses and reporting back to Wall Street, where to buy stock and what not to buy. She was taking all the notes and doing all the writing reports. Lois so was and is a real sharp lady. And again, those of you who are in Montreal, her to get out of her wheelchair and go up there and give us five minutes. A sharp gas. Anyway, 94, she's still going strong. At any rate, shortly after Bill died, she went to the Washington Cathedral, to the, uh, Winchester Cathedral, and she saw this dog and said, my the God, the quote in the big book is correct. It is. a no left out. he he And Lois put it in the uh, box 459 and corrected. It. it was never put in the big book. And the big book still has Bill's original version. But here is the correct version that Lois copied and sent into box 459. It's two lines longer than Bill's quote. Here lies in peace a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death by drinking cold, small beer. Soldiers, be wise from his untimely fall, and when you're hot, drink strong or none at all. An honest soldier ne'er is forgot, whether he die by musket or by pot. That's the full quote from Winchester Cathedral, according to Lois. You notice that last sentence, whether he die by musket or by pot. Some of our younger members... Has twisted this around to satisfy their own needs. All the buck talks about his booze. No, 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 i about plot too. <laughs> one in every crowd, one in every. <laughs> Over on page 24, in italics. The fact. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power, the choice to drink, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our own consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against that first drink. And over on the next next page again brings out this fact, the great fact. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had the and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has meant to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. That last you those of you who are aficionados of the promises know that that's where he got the, the last of the promises, that God could do it for us what we could not do for ourselves. Next, over on page 30, here is the the opening of chapter 3. If you've been on the West Coast, many of the groups there, in addition to reading chapter 5, they read chapter 3. And this is certainly a pertinent paragraph. The opening paragraph of chapter 3. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. And the last line in the the same chapter, chapter 3. Once more, once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. Next we have the agnostics chapter we agnostic chapter four <clears throat> I don't know about you, but uh, I was a little cynical in my uh and I thought analyze I didn't go along with it don't analyze utilize and anybody got to analyze too, and I was sort of picking up program apart here and there, quietly, not anybody else, to myself. And <clears throat> I thought, we agnostics. I got a little resentment, really, there's a whole chapter devoted to agnostics. I said, well, why in the hell didn't Bill write a chapter to the believers? He <laughs> left us out. whole chapter to agnostics. What about us? We believe. Or we just, just throw us around. Just don't treat us all. Don't give us any guidance. But I have found, ladies and gentlemen, in my big book study group, there's more wisdom there certainly has much wisdom in this chapter to the agnostics for me, who's a believer, than there is in any other chapter in the book. It is filled with wisdom. We spend sometimes a month on this one chapter in our big book study group. Here Bill points it out, and he doesn't sugarcoat the pill. Page 45 says, Lack of power, lack of power. That was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. But where and how were we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. That means we have written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And it means, of course, that we are going to talk about God, period. So any newcomers in here, be prepared for it. We're going to talk about God, because God is our understanding, as we understand him. You may call it your sponsor, your higher power, Yahweh, Buddha, Mohammed, doesn't care what you call him. But we're going to talk about God. Page 53. Here's another signal sentence for me. When we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis we could not postpone or evade, we had to fearlessly face the proposition That either God is everything, or else he is nothing. God either is, or he isn't. What was our choice to be? Then, how it works. Chapter 5, the great chapter 5. How it works. We hear that at A meetings in many parts of the country, right along with the preamble. Again, <coughs> the original draft was a little different from the final draft. And I have a copy of the original draft here. I won't read it all. But the whole idea, basic idea was the original draft talking about, remember, you are dealing with alcohol. Half measure will avail you nothing. You stand at the point funny point. The whole thing was based on you, 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 you. And Bill changed that to we, 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 because it is a we program. That was the basic change in the original draft and the final printed version of the chapter 5. There was another significant. Step 7 originally read, Humbly, on our knees, asked him to remove our shortcomings, holding nothing back. And some of the... uh, (coughs) Anti-religious characters in New York made him pull out that on our knees. He didn't want to get these drunks down on their knees. They were down there, but for other reasons, not to pray. And there's a sentence over here that some of us wish they'd left in it. He deleted it completely. This is after the three pertinent ideas that God could and what if he were stopped. And there's a sentence here that is, this was in the original version. If you are not convinced on these vital issues You ought to reread the book to this point, or else throw it away. Many of us witnessed left that in, but it's been deleted. Many of us are perfections. We come to this program and say, well, I can't work it perfect. so to hell with it. I can't do it right, I'm not going to do it. We'll take care of this year and again in chapter 5, where he says, many of us explain what an order I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. This is for the perfection. No one, no one among us has ever been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. So for the perfectionists, don't expect to be perfect. Spiritual progress is what we're after. And again, over in the uh, 12 and 12, Bill explains this a little further. In the discussion of Step 6, where he says, Step one is the only step I'll ever be able to cut 100% all the time. Step one is the only one. The others are goals towards which I strive, reaching out a day at a time, trying to do a little better, knowing I'll never be able to practice the other 11 steps perfectly. might be perfect today, but not this afternoon. So step one is the only step I'll ever be able to cut 100%. They'll suggest we use the other 11 steps as yardsticks to measure our growth. You know, 63 is this wonderful third-step prayer that many of us use in the morning. I was told when I came in here, I said, I don't know how to meditate. I don't know how to pray. I said, okay, get the book out. And it was suggest that I read this third-step prayer on page 63. The seventh step prayer on 76. And page 86, halfway down the page, the prayer that starts on the morning we do so and so. It was suggested to me if I read those three portions of the big book every morning, that would satisfy the requirement for prayer and meditation to begin with. I've been doing that for a long time. I still do that along with other morning prayers, but it works. The third step prayer, for those of you who are not acquainted with it, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self. May better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. That's a beautiful prayer. It's 64, Bill goes about resentment. Read then. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. Spiritually sick. <clears throat> now some alcoholics are sick than others, I'm one of them. I read among my morning readings the Alanon book, Odat. And I forgot what the date is, but they got a quote down at the bottom of the page from Friedrich Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche. And he says, No power on earth consumes a man more completely than the passion of resentment. Friedrich knew what he was talking about a long time ago. No power on earth consumes a man more completely than the passion of resentment. Then Bill explains how to do the step forward. Many people say, how do you do step forward? I don't need to write it down. God knows about it. Why should I bother writing it down? Bill says, no, you've got to write it down. He shows us how to write it down. These three three columns. I'm resentful at the cause and affects my. And if you look at that right-hand column, fear. Fear. Fear is the underlying cause. Every one of them affects me through fear. There are other reasons, sex, relations, self-esteem, security, so forth. But in each of them, in parenthesis, fear. Fear is the basic problem in most of our lives. Fear was the controlling emotion in my life. And most alcoholics.
1: <clears>
0: this <throat> doesn't uh, tell you when to do the fourth step. I like my friend Sandy's guidance on when you're supposed to take the fourth step. <clears throat> Sandy says, the day you take the third step. The day you really turn your will and your life over to the care of God, it's all yours. So that's the day you take a paper and pencil and start writing the four-step. That's the time. Because when I turn my will and my life over to God, it's God who wants me to work this program. And He's not going to write the four-step, I've got to write it. So that's the day I should work, start the four-step, writing it down the day, the minute I turn my will and my life over to the care of God. <clears throat> There's controversy, not controversy, discussion about when you should take it. You well, Can't take the fourth step. I'm too new because if I go through all those things, it's hard to get me drunk. Get me drunk. I can't let those things. <clears throat> Joe and Marty, remember, gentleman, God bless his soul. We had in, in, uh, in the Washington area Walter Davidson. God bless him. Walter died of cancer after years. Of <clears throat> Walter's answer to that was one of his pigeons cancer. Oh me. Started running on the fourth step and got me drunk. Well I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You did what? And I started riding the fourth step and he got me drunk. Well I said "Running that fourth step didn't get you drunk. If you tell me what was on the label of that bottle you were drinking out of, I'll tell you what got you drunk. I wasn't riding that fourth step at that booze. That's what gets us drunk. Over on page seventy-five is a little item I missed for years. It's the checklist to see if I have accomplished the fifth step properly. And here it is: the seven-point checklist to see if I've worked this fifth step the way it's supposed to be worked. <clears throat> Bill says we pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step withholding nothing, here are the things, seven things that happen to me. We are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we're on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. And my sponsor suggested to me if those things hadn't happened, I hadn't taken the fifth step properly. John 76 is the seventh step prayer our mission, Just a short four lines. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. And Bill says, we have then completed step seven. Then we get over here on these wonderful promises. I won't take the time to read them all. You all know them. The bottom of, bottom of page 83. 84. I love a sentence over here on the introduction to it. On page 82, it says, We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. We feel a man is unthinking. When he says that sobriety is enough. And if you've been around a few years, you'll hear some of these people think, All I'm going to do is stop drinking. That's all I do. That's all he promises sobriety. you is sobriety. Stop drinking, take care of the physical aspects of the disease, and everything else will fall into place for most of us. It doesn't work that way. Physical sobriety is not enough for most of us. It certainly wasn't enough for me, so it's mental and spiritual sobriety, and that's what comes with the trying to live the spiritual life on page eighty three again, middle of the page before he gets on the promises. Bill points this out here again in italics. The spiritual life is not a theory; we have to live it. The spiritual life is not a theory; we have to live it. Same thing my sponsor told me about gratitude. He says there's some sit around these meetings say my name is so and so and I'm a grateful alcoholic. Words are cheap. He suggested I had to live an attitude of gratitude, and that's another way of saying living a spiritual life. Not a theory, we have to live it. And those wonderful promises, I won't go into those. Bottom of page 83 and 84. Again, I was in the way for a while, I'm sitting there thinking one night, analyzing.
1: <clears throat> and
0: I'd heard about, I don't know, I'd, something to do with the Air Force in West Point. They talked about their code of honor. There's something in the paper published about somebody who kicked out of something. They'd broken the code of honor. Well, I was thinking, well, most organizations have a code or a creed. I wonder why A doesn't have one. And in my discussion, I just mentioned that idle chit-chat. I said, look at the book. Look at the book. Page 84. Here it is. Love and tolerance of others is our code. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Love and tolerance of others is our code. So, A has a code, too. Speak of love and tolerance. Those of you here at Montreal heard Liz our Sunday morning. God bless her. Liz Jameson from uh, New Zealand. Talking about tolerance and love. So it's very simple to love the lovable. And A, we have to learn to love the unlovable. And it's very simple. No big deal. To be tolerant of the tolerant. And A, you have to be tolerant of the intolerant. That's what this program is all about. Loving the unlovable, being tolerant of the intolerant. And here's that sentence I mentioned earlier on page 85. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. Got it made. You've seen this happen. People, 90 meetings in 90 days, things going great, they get the job back, the wife takes them back and everything's great, and they slow down their meetings. And pretty soon, you don't see them anymore. They rest on their laurels. And Clancy talks about the one of his babies they call him out there. <clears throat> Real active for six months and then didn't see him. So i on the street. What happened? I'll see meetings anymore. Most- oh uh back in the church. Become so a deacon in the church, I'm getting right with God. I've got a direct line to God. I don't need those meetings anymore. Deacon in the church. God and I he's my my uh, sponsor and, and things are great. French said, I don't know what happened, but six months later, <clears throat> I see him on the street, and Heavenly God handed him a beer because he was drunk. So, it is easy to let up on our spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. <laughs> we are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition." Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. Now, in this program we hear (coughs) will, self-will, run-ride, we hear about that. And willpower sort of degraded, sort of spoken of in not too enduring terms. (coughs) And uh, the old thing about Willpower won't get you sober. If you think willpower will will solve the problem, try willpower the next time you have diarrhea. And you know, it just doesn't work. So willpower sort of gets the back of our hand of A in most discussions, but not Bill. He talks about willpower here. He says, Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of will. So willpower is an important part of my AA life. The proper use of will. What this alcoholic and most alcoholics would go through, the improper use of will. That was our problem. Willpower is a great thing. It's used properly. And Bill spells it out here. This is the proper use of will. Praying to God, thy will, not mine, be done. And here are those pages in my morning meditation. On Awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. And for the next page and a half, Bill talks about what we should do in terms of getting rid of self-seeking motives, facing indecisions, and all the things. We have a very wonderful page and a half there on what to do in our morning meditation. And he closes that chapter out with this wonderful statement. We heard many times. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. This is a program of action, that told me, and I'm the action officer. Willingness without action is fantasy. Now, we hear a lot about willingness. And many people say, I have to just be willing. This is true, to get into the program. That's all I have to do. Be willing, be willing. And chapter 5, which we've read many times, points out there, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, So there's the willingness that comes first. But immediately there's action along with that willingness because it says, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any length, then you're ready to take certain steps. And there is the action that immediately goes along with the willingness. And again in uh, step eight, made a list of all those we'd harm and became willing to make amends. There it is again. Willingness comes first. primary. But immediately in step nine, made direct amends to those with harm, except when to do so would injure them others. So that it works when other activities fail. And then it goes into the discussion of the 12th step. <coughs> Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Page 98, there's another signal sentence for me. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well, regardless of anyone. Burn the idea. into it talks about talking to newcomers. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well, regardless of anyone. The only condition, the only condition is that he trust in God and clean house. That's the only condition for success in this program, according to Bill. Trust in God and clean house. Now, there's someone i forgot. uh Six words. He brought this down instead of uh, the words used there. The same idea, but said A summed up in six words. God, clean house, and help others. That sums it up, too. <coughs> and our friend... One of the five non-alcoholics that Bill Wilson gave credit to, Bill said there were five non-alcoholics. Again, in the AA we talk a lot about tactics. One alcoholic can help another. The implication is that only one alcoholic can help another. Well, this is for the bird, as most of you know, but you still hear the myth. One of those A myths. have to have one alcoholic. He can't listen to a psychiatrist or a social worker or someone else in the church. Bill said there were five people, non-alcoholics, that helped him. He wouldn't got the program off the ground if it hadn't been for these five people. First was Dr. William Silkworth, his physician at Towns Hospital in New York. Second was Sister Ignatia, the non-alcoholic nurse at the St. Thomas Hospital. There was Dr. Bob's assistant. Third was Father Ed Dalek, the Jesuit priest, who had convinced Bill to become a Catholic. And Bill had taken wherever it is. I'm not he was ready to sign or whatever he was supposed to do to convert to Catholicism when his friends in New York said, look, Bill, if you convert to Catholicism, every member of AA will think he has to convert to Catholicism to stay sober, because people look to you as God. So that's the only reason, according to Bill, that he did not convert to Catholicism, because it's such an example that would be misinterpreted in every AA of those days. But think he had to convert to Catholicism following Bill's footsteps. So that's the only reason Bill did not convert to Catholicism, according to him. But he practiced the principles, whoever they are, all his life. So he was a number three man. Number four was the gentleman that uh, I'm going to quote, Uh Reverend Sam Shoemaker, Reverend Canon Sam Shoemaker, the Episcopal minister. That's a Calvary Episcopal church at 21st Street in Gramercy Park in New York City. If you're ever in the city on a Friday or a Sunday, the TGIF group's on Friday, and they will take you to the upstairs, used to be Sam's study, where Sam Shoemaker, Abby Thatcher, and Bill Wilson met every Thursday when it was after the Oxford group meeting downstairs and discussed the spirituality of this building. They still keep that study there, and you're welcome to look at it. Sam summed it up in seven words. Sam wrote a a uh, item a, a composition for the Grapevine was printed in January 1964. He died in October 63. And this is a story printed for the Grapevine, and it's titled "The Twelve Steps as I Understand Them." And in this article for the Grapevine, they reprint it every so often. You can get a copy if you're interested. January 64 edition. Sam said this. He had analyzed each step and showed that these steps are a spiritual way of life applicable to anyone and everyone that has a problem. It has nothing to do with booze. A spiritual way of life and in these 12 steps. And he summed the whole steps of the whole program up in seven words. Out of self, into God, into others. Out of self, into God, into others. And of course, Doctor Bob, on his last talk, summed up in two words: love and service. So there you have it: two words, six words, seven words, where you want. I don't know about you, but I had a lot of fun drinking for many years. Booze was kind to me. Booze made good things better and better things best. And I got sober in San Francisco in 1958, and I was miserable miserable. And again, this is proved to me that you can't have fun without drinking. I've proved it. I've done sober, sober eight months. But I was the most miserable person in the world. The first miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous for me, when I came in the program in New York City, November 17th, 64. was here's a bunch of happy people. Happy people having fun, living it up, laughing, smiling. I think I walked to a cocktail party. Well, they were living, happy, and gay. This was gay when there was a different terminology. Anyway, it was a great bunch, and that was the first miracle for me. That they were happy people and they weren't drinking booze. The first miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, yeah, happy, happy, wonderful life, but I stick with the winners and enjoy this program. And here I finally found, years later, here on page 133, Bill says. We are sure that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We cannot subscribe to belief that this life is a veil of tears, though it was once just that for many of us. But it is clear that we made our own misery. We made our own misery. And I don't know about you, but I was taught back in Sunday school or somewhere I thought that's what they said, that I had to put up with this life in order to have go to heaven. So no matter how bad it got down here, it's going to be worth it. Because I was going to heaven and live happily ever after. So I looked upon this life as a veil of tears. And especially when I got sober in San Francisco and a, a miserable, horrible life. It wasn't worth it for me. I went back to drinking, as many of you know. any rate, when I came to this program, God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. That made sense to me. And the misery, I made the misery. God didn't do it. Then on page 132, I found this sentence. I didn't find it. My A group, big book study group found it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. And that's what these weekends are for me. These AA weekends, IDA, whatever they are. A bunch of people insisting on enjoying life. And that, for me, is the AA way of life. Then, over on 152, we have... We all know about the 12 promises, the 14 promises, 11 promises, whatever you call them. Here's some over here that are hidden. You don't hear much about them. Page 152. Bill's talking about, he's discussing this program with a newcomer. And he's having a little trouble. And he says here, tells about the newcomer, what he should do. We have shown how we got out from under, under alcoholism. And you say that the newcomer says, yes, I'm willing. I'm willing to go along with your program. Don't drink. Go to meetings. Okay, I'm willing. But am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum like some righteous people I see? And that's what I was in nineteen fifteen in San Francisco when I stopped drinking. A stupid, dull, boring, glum life. Boy, did I identify with that when I saw that. And that was my question, but no one gave me the answer then. I didn't ask anybody. I was just stupid, boring, and glum. <laughs> anyway. Here it is. Here's the answer. So this is the newcomer asking Bill, am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum like righteous people I see? I know I must get along without liquor, but how can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? Bill says, yes. Yes. There is a substitute, and it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. Here are the additional promises. There you will find release from care, release from boredom, release from worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find the fellowship, and so will you. What beautiful words. I wish someone had told me that in 1958. Then the close of the 164 pages, the vision for you, and this again is read in a lot of groups, a lot of conventions, is the closing paragraph in each meeting. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come. If your own house is in order, the answers will come, if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him, capital H, is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. In a few minutes I have left, I want to just touch on a few things back in the stories. My big book study group, we go through the first 164 pages a couple times. Then we go through the stories. because There's a lot of wisdom back in these stories. A lot of wisdom in these stories. And as you know, the third edition, a lot of 13 new stories in there. the That's the only change in the big book, as most of you know. The first edition, 1939... Mostly they were low-bottom drunks that lost everything. Most of them were... Marty Mann, I think, was the only female story. But the rest of them, really, down at the bottom, they lost everything. But as you know, over the years, we've got some people coming in with still two Cadillacs in the garage. And uh, <clears throat> we've had sort of raise the level. And the present stories in the back covers minority groups, old, rich, different ages, and tries to cover the whole... Spectrum of the membership of AA. There's just a couple. Page 311. A warning about AA. AA is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with. It is a way of life. And the challenge contained in its principles is great enough to keep any human being striving for as long as he lives. We do not, cannot outgrow this plan. As arrested alcoholics, we must have a program for living that allows for limitless expansion. And that's why I and many of my colleagues keep going to meeting, meeting, meeting. I learn something at every AA meeting I go to. I go to a lot of meetings in Washington. I have 157 meetings every day, seven days a week, starting at seven in the morning around the clock. I learn something at every AA meeting I go to. Either a new learning, an old learning reinforced, or what I call a negative learning. I learn what not to do if I want to stay sober day at a time. So for me, this is indeed <laughs> a way of life. And the challenge contained in its principles is great enough to keep this human being for striving as long as I live. And our friend, uh, Paul Olliger, I don't think Paul is with us. Paul's story's in here. And Paul has a beautiful paragraph on acceptance west coast of Henderson, closed discussion meetings in Palm Desert and Palm Springs. And they have, okay, have you problems? And some will say, well, I have a resentment and so forth. Get on your knees and pray. Next. Next guy. well. I'm having a problem. Page 449 of the big book. Next. So anybody that has a problem with acceptance, they just refer to page 449 and go on to the next person. They don't waste time. Here is the answer on page 449. Thanks to Dr. Paul Olliger. God bless you. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems today, all my problems in When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, some place, something or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no security until I accept that person, place ...thing or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitude That opens me to give you an hour lecture on attitude of gratitude, but I will deny you that privilege though. <laughs> perfect hoping for it, though. I'll well, set it all there. Then, over on... This used to be the last story in the big book. It's the second to the last now. Freedom from bondage. Written by a lady. And she really said a lot. She first of all told her how to get rid of resentment. She's talking about her mother. She had a resentment against her for 20 years. She, said she thrived on this resentment. She sort of fondled it and kept it there. gave her something to play with all the time. But finally, in desperation, she realized unless she got rid of that resentment, she's going to get drunk. The sponsor told her she had to get rid of it. How did he get rid of it? He told her how. finally, He said, in fact, if you have a resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for the person or the thing that you resent, you will be free. If you will ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their health, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even when you don't really want it for them, and your prayers are only words, and you don't mean it, go ahead and do it anyway. Do it every day for two weeks, and you will find you have come to mean it and to want it for them. And you will realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred, you now feel compassion, understanding, and love. I had a resentment my first year in the program after gotten back to Washington. I went to my sponsor and you referred me to this book. You referred me again. It used to be page five sixty one, the old edition. Look at page five sixty one, I read it. I'd be a hypocrite praying for these. I hate the SOB. Get on your knees and pray anyway, even though you don't mean it. It did not make any sense to me. Now, the book here says pray for two weeks. Some of us are sick or another. I prayed for two weeks and it didn't work. I hated the SOB more. I to keep on your knees. And I prayed, as I remember, about two months. But I did what I was told. Every night on my knees praying for the SOB. In about six weeks or two months, Sure enough, that hatred, envy, bitterness, and resentment change to compassion and understanding and love. And that gentleman, two of my closest one of my closest friends in Washington today. So it works, ladies and gentlemen, even though you don't mean it. Even though you're a hypocrite, get on your knees and pray and it works. Then she says over here, The only real freedom a human can ever know is doing what you ought to do because you want to do it. Only real freedom that I could ever know was doing what I ought to do because I wanted to do it. I went to meetings at first because I was told to go. I knew I ought to go to meetings, and I went because I ought to go to meetings. New York City, three meetings a day. But I was going because I ought to go. My sponsor told me to go. But one day, I don't know when, I went to a meeting because I wanted to go. Not because I, because I wanted to go. I got a taste of that real freedom. Doing what I ought to do because I wanted to do it. And ladies and gentlemen, that is real freedom. And this lady, God bless it, says, Hey, it gives me everything I need. Everything I need I get. And when I get what I need, I invariably find it was just what I wanted all the time. And that hit me between the eyes. Because I remember my days in the Air Force, I was an Air Force career officer. I knew what I wanted. I wanted promotion, prestige, more money, power, those things. And I'd be happy. Sure, I, that's what I wanted was happiness. Give me promotion, money, power, and prestige, and I'd be happy. Just give me those things, no problem. I knew what my problem was. And that would solve all those problems. I came into AA. AA didn't give me any promotion. Didn't give me any power. Didn't give me any money gave me peace of mind, and that's exactly what I wanted all the time. In closing, let's give respect and honor to Herbert Spencer. Way back here in the back, this signals statement from Herbert Spencer, there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. And that says it all, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all for listening. God bless you.